Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. That because at least for James, this thing called theology, our understanding of God and the things of God, isn't just meant to collect dust on some back corner of our lives, but it's meant to be worked out and worked into and to be put to work in all of life. Whether that's with how we think or what we do, or as we'll see today, how we speak, and perhaps even more so with who amongst us gets to speak, who ought to speak, while we are all called to be speakers on God's behalf. That's really what we're going to be looking at today, the place of the tongue in the life of the believer, and really the place of the tongue in the community of believers So turn with me, if you have a Bible, to where we left off last week in James chapter 3. And follow along with me as I read from verse 1 to 18. Again, James 3, verses 1 to 18. This is God's Word. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The, The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast 
and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we consider today what James has to say about the tongue and about its power and its potency, about its ability to persuade and to lead and to lead astray. I pray that as a community of faith in, in which we've been called to speak and, and speak into each other's lives and to speak into this world, I pray that as a community of faith we would feel the weight of what James says and that as he's already said, we would all be slow to speak, slow to speak out of our anger, and quick to listen, to listen to you and to your word, that when we do speak, it might be you speaking through us. And I pray that even now as I open my mouth to, just, to do just that, I pray that it would be so. To the honor of your son Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen. The tongue is a tremendously underappreciated member of our body in terms of its strength and tremendously underestimated in terms of its destructive power. So said my dentist the last time I was in for a root canal just a couple weeks ago. This is what he said to me, literally. That's his words. I quoted him. I actually wrote it down. I said, I can't believe you're saying this to me. I had just gotten some work done, the latest tooth that needed to be fixed. I, I have a terrible dental record, and, and, and I hate the dentist, and he knows this, and, and it's the best I can find, so I go to him, and, and, and he does his best with me. But I'm sitting in the chair, and he, he's just finished the root canal. He's put a temporary cap in place to, to wait for the, the one that's going to be fabricated at the lab, the one that will, that, that will be permanent, and he says, listen, there's, there's a number of things that you've got to watch out for with this temporary cap over the next week week and a half before, before the permanent one comes in and we get you back in here and get that fixed for good. There's a number of things, like flossing. you got to watch your flossing. You don't have to floss this tooth. After all of the moments that he's telling me in life, I don't floss enough. Now he says, don't floss this tooth. Or even brushing. He says, watch how you brush. He always says, you brush like Mike Tyson. Why are you doing that to yourself? He says, don't brush this tooth. Just leave it alone. He says, brushing, the food you eat, don't, don't eat anything too sticky, it'll pull it out. Don't eat anything too hard, it'll crack it. 
This is not the one that is going to last for the next season of your life. But he said, above all, the thing that you have to watch out for the most is your tongue. Because when something changes in the landscape of your mouth, what's your natural inclination? It's to feel it out, right? It's to constantly be rubbing up against it. And he said the tongue is tremendously underappreciated when it comes to its strength and tremendously underestimated when it comes to its destructive power. My dentist. But that's one thing when it comes to orthodontics in a strictly physical sense. But quite another thing entirely when it comes to how we use our tongues to speak. And the place of the tongue in the life of the believer and in the life of the community of believers. Because before my dentist said this, James said something very similar much long ago, but in a much more significant sense. And that's what we're going to look at today. Again, precisely this, and how the tongue is underappreciated in terms of its strength and underestimated in terms of its destructive power. And looking at this, I feel in some ways I'll make a little bit back the money that I just spent on this tooth. So we're going to look at this, and I'll thank my dentist later for the outline. But first, that the tongue is underappreciated in terms of its strength, which is where James seems to start when he, when he gets into this in verse 2, when he says, for, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, literally in word or in speech, he is a perfect man, a mature man, a man from back in chapter 1 who is complete and lacking in nothing. Not morally perfect, but he, he is one living under the royal law. He is a perfect man. A man, James says here, who is able also to bridle his whole body. In one sense, because bridling the tongue is so very difficult. So that if you can get the tongue under control, surely you're able to get the rest under control as well. The tongue is the hard part. Doing the one suggests that you should be able to do the other. It's like weaning a child off a pacifier, right? If you can get through that stage, chances are, right, you're going to be able to get the kid out of the house eventually and into society. Getting the kid off the pacifier, that is, at least in my experience, that is the harder part. If you can do the one, you should be able to do the other. But even more here, that in a sense, control the tongue. And one would expect that you'd be able to control the rest. But in another sense, James seems to say this because the control of the tongue is in fact the key to controlling the rest. 
And this is what comes out in these first couple of illustrations. That somehow, the tongue is where it all starts. These next couple of illustrations, when James begins by comparing the control of the tongue to a horse and its rider. When he says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. That with a relatively little bit, a, very, a relatively little bridle that weighs what? Ten pounds with the reins? I don't know, is that right? Eh? Maybe? With a relatively little bridle, you can control a relatively massive animal. And if you know anything about horses, you'll know that's the key. That it's this bit that goes into their mouth and it allows you to turn them right this way or that way. It allows you to stop them or allow them to go forward. And there's some in this room that know that better than I do who can tell you more about why that's the fact. But I can at least tell you from personal experience that you get up on that horse without that bit, and unless you're Tonto or something, you're going to have trouble. Because I remember as a kid, I remember going off to horse camp and being a little too eager one day to get to the riding and, and saddling up only to realize as I jumped up on the back of this animal that I had no way of controlling it because I had forgotten the bridle. And it didn't matter how many, whoa, boys, you said, <laughs> this horse was taking me where it wanted to go. Well, similarly, James says, there is a sense in which you can't control the body unless you can control the tongue. That the control of the tongue is in fact the key to controlling the rest. As with a bit and a bridle, or, he says in verse 4, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by, by strong winds, they are guided by a, a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And for every horse story I've got, for every bit story I've got, I've probably got 10 about boats and rudders because I've got a line on my resume, not the one that I ever sent in to KBC, but my unofficial one. I have a line on my resume that says, Skipper. And just above that says, Boat Boy. Because for a number of years, I worked, I managed a marina up in New York State. Up in upstate New York, uh, managed a marina and was responsible for these boats. I know how rudders work. These little things that control where a boat goes or not. And they are. They are tiny compared to the rest of the boat. And they really do control where you go. So if you were one of my crew, which I had a guy who was one of my crew, and you just happen to, you know, lackadaisically take a cruise around the lake with, with a number of passengers, and you just happen to find your way into a part of the lake you weren't supposed to be in, and you knock the rudder off, all you're going to do is go in circles for about an hour until you slowly ride up on the rocks. 30, 40 passengers. Multiple times this guy did this. 
Because the rudder is the key. The bit is the key. And James says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Like a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a boat. That it is essentially underappreciated in terms of its strength. Because in a sense, controlling the tongue is the key to controlling the body. And why that is, is spelled out by James when he moves on to explain that the tongue is second, underestimated in terms of its destructive power. So underappreciated in terms of its strength, now second, underestimated in terms of its destructive power which James highlights when he says in verse 6, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Just like Smokey the Bear, right? That that it only takes a spark to get a fire going, and and soon all those around will, will warm up to its glowing. That was a song my dad used to sing. We made us sing, like every campfire. That's what we were singing. But it's got the unwritten written verse, right? That, 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 soon, that soon, it doesn't take much more to get the fire growing, and soon all those around are running for their lives. Because that's how a fire works. It gets out of control. A little spark sets the rest on fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. He says the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Remember from back in chapter 1, the, one, the, one, the, the aspect of true religion that, 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 that it is to, to, to care for the widows and the orphans and to do what? To keep oneself unstained from the world. That's this word. That, 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 that the tongue, though, is what stains the body, setting on fire the entire course of, of life, which is bigger than just your life. That's what this means. He's, he's talking about this cycle of life. He's talking about from one generation to another, from one person to another. It's the tongue, that the, the tongue sets on fire the entire course of life and is set on fire by hell. Because it is set on fire by hell. That the tongue, while underappreciated in terms of its strength, is even more so underestimated in terms of its destructive power. We're outside the town limits, and so um, one of the things we do is burn a lot of our cardboard. Anybody else? You do that? We burn a lot of our cardboard. And sometimes we'll, we'll let the pile build up quite a bit because, you know, just to see how high it will go because that stuff really burns when it starts going, right? And that's fun. Me and the kids, we, 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 we go higher than mom knows about. And most of the time, that's okay. We usually got it under control. But one fall day, me and the kids set this 
pile ablaze, and a minute later, after I had turned around to do something else, the wind kicked up and, and blew a relatively small piece of ember onto our neighbor's lawn. The thing with our neighbor is he never raked his leaves. And so Emmett started going crazy because our neighbor's lawn was all of a sudden on fire. And it didn't take long before the leaves were gone and now the bushes were being engulfed and, and really the house was next. And we hoped after we got it under control, like thank God we had a hose that would reach that far. We actually had put two hoses together to reach that far. After we got it under control, our only wondering was whether he was gonna notice. <laughs> and I don't think he did in the end. I don't think he did, and yet that's what the spark does. So too, James says, the tongue sets on fire the entire course of life. Because it is set on fire itself by hell. Unless something changes, that it is driven by hell. That the very fire that is reserved for those who walk away from God or those who refuse to walk before God, that the very fire that burns in the heart of God's greatest enemy is the fire that most naturally burns in our tongues and is passed on through our tongues and sets on fire the entire course of life. One generation to the next. One person to the next. Just let that sink in for a minute. No wonder James has already said, let everyone be slow to speak. For James says, verse 7, every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. People charm snakes. People ride elephants. People swim with sharks. People tame lions. You've seen the guy, right, rolling around with the lions on YouTube? But no one on their own, no human being, James says, on their own, left to themselves, in their own strength, or by their own will, can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. Like the man from chapter 1 who without faith is unstable, who is restless is the word in all his ways. So too the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And the proof James says, verse 9, just look. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. That from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, which is more than just the occasional swear word. I, I pray that I pray that you are more creative than needing to default to four-letter words because you don't know five-letter words. I pray that you 
are more creative, that you can't come up with three-letter words instead of defaulting to four-letter words. But that's not what this is about. This is much more serious. James says that with our mouths, that with our mouths, from the same mouth that we bless God with and lift high the name of God and praise God who sent His Son to die for this world, yet blessing God who so loved this world, we curse, we condemn, we damn the very ones God intends to save whether inside or outside our own body. That just like from chapter 2, we take on the role of judge and we set a standard other than the cross of Christ by which we then hold others accountable to when we're not willing to hold ourselves accountable to it on our own. And then we sow in that way, we damn them instead of extending to them the mercy we've been extended. We bless God, but curse our fellow man, our fellow woman. We curse our children. We curse those we know and those we don't. My brother James says these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Both fresh and literally, what he says is bitter water. That comes up in a minute. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. These things ought not to be so. And yet we first totally underappreciate the tongue in terms of its strength. And second, are in constant danger of underestimating it in terms of its destructive power. But what does this passage have to do with us today? You know, besides the obvious, what does James think this passage has to do with us today? What is he getting at? And let me just suggest that his point is once again, as with so much of this letter, wrapped up with the context in which these words appear. Because James isn't just talking about the tongue here because it's the next item on his agenda. It's not like he's on a roll rattling off in this letter all the issues that he has with the people he's writing to. Rather, all this talk about the tongue is actually James drawing out the implication of what he was talking about in chapter 2. That faith works. That Faith is no good without them. It is inseparable from them and is in some sense just justified by them as are we. 
And one of the implications of chapter 2 has to do with who we follow and who we listen to and who steps up into leadership of God's people, which is what James is actually addressing in these verses. It's the bigger issue and is what he starts out addressing in verse 1. Just look at it. When he says, not many of you should be or become teachers, my brothers. Not many of you should become teachers or leaders or those who supposedly speak God's word after him, which is what leadership in the church really is and always has been, speaking God's word after him. Why? James says, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We all stumble in many ways, he says, but even more, we stumble with our speech, which again is the heart of teaching. It's the heart of discipleship, something we're all called to. It's the heart of leadership in the church, right? Growing others in their walk with God's Son by getting them into God's Word. That's where James starts. So that the tongue is the key to controlling the body. And not just the body of the individual. But so that the tongue is the key to controlling the body of believers. Which so often, almost always in the New Testament is where these words are used. This body language. And again is why he starts with leadership in verse 1 and then comes back to leadership in verse 13. Now follow me. In verse 13 when he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Which is to say, who ought to teach and lead? By his good conduct, James says, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Let him show his works, demonstrate his works in the meekness of wisdom. Not that I have faith and you have works, but rather show me your faith by your works. In the meekness of wisdom, which is the same meekness James already said, is how we receive the implanted word. So that leaders are to, to show that they've already submitted themselves to the word before they start, start calling others to submit to it after them. So that if I was just going to share my personal experience with this, it's why the weight of the week does not fall on Sunday mornings. Because my personal experience, it's my wrestling with this all week long. That I break first, and any leader ought to break first under the word they are supposedly going to administer to others. Again, so that before one speaks, one is to be quick to hear. But on the other side of that, James says, verse 14, 
If you have bitter jealousy, he says, James says. If you're a a supposedly fresh spring out of which pours forth bitter jealousy, you are the spring that ought not be. If that is the case and you have selfish ambition on top of it in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Do not speak. Why? Because James says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And if this is you, if this is me, we are still speaking out of a heart, at least a part of the heart, that that is still set on fire by hell. For verse 16, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And these are body life things. These are community things. If we have leaders, if we lead that way, this is where we end up. But the wisdom from above, the heart that has been changed in a way that it cannot change itself, is first pure, he says, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy. Remember, remember, full of mercy, full of good fruits, impartial, remember, and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, by those who do peace, by those who do peace is what it says, by those who are doers of the word and not just hearers only, that those who sow, which is always word work, it's always word work, it came from Jesus himself that way, those who sow alongside the great sower, Jesus Christ, that those who follow Jesus by growing Jesus' followers, that because the tongue is so vastly underappreciated in terms of its strength and so vastly underestimated in terms of its destructive power, that those who sow the word and dare to speak God's word after him would do so and have to do so, and God help them will do so with a holy fear that they are those who have been transformed first by the word themselves. is the weight. Which is the weight. And it's a sliding scale. It's a weight that those who dare and continue to second guess that their whole life through, who dare to lead God's people, a weight they bear maybe more than most, but it is a weight for all of us because this is what it means to follow Jesus. To, yes, first be a hearer of the word, but not just that, but to be a doer of the word. And two, when we get our own mouths out of the way and allow Jesus to speak through us, to be a speaker of the word. And I want to just close by drawing that out a bit more in three ways. Just for us as individuals, for us as a body, and as we look to those who lead us. 
first for us as individuals, that we all need to, to, to hear again James' injunction from chapter 1. That we ought to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And to hear his injunction of what he says here, that not many of us should be teachers. Not that we should not aspire to be teachers, to be part of the discipleship culture of God's body. But we should be wary when we suppose to speak for God. God expects us to do so, to speak his word after him on his behalf. But we should be wary when we do. And let me just pick up on one area that we sometimes misstep in and put the the cart before the horse. When we speak before we often listen, let me just talk about for a minute social media. And let me just suggest that this is one area that we all ought to be slower to speak. That, That we as representatives of this body and even more so as representatives of the head, Jesus. That if we're ones who who don't pause before we post, chances are that the fire raging in our bellies is not a fire given to us by Jesus. That if we've got brothers and sisters consistently questioning what we're writing, or we find ourselves pretty regularly having to delete things that we've already written, that that we ought to, to trust James more than we trust ourselves and be slow to speak. And we should invite someone. I would encourage you, if this is you, I'm not on social media all that much, but if this is you, you should invite someone into your life that maybe isn't your spouse or isn't your closest friend who's just going to nod on everything that you do. Invite somebody into your life to help you filter that out of a love for Jesus. When you go to, before you make a public statement on Jesus' behalf, that whether you like it or not, is going to take on a life of its own. That will probably start a forest fire. This is for us as individuals. Second, though, there are implications here for us as a body. And here I want to suggest that those implications primarily have to do with who we place in positions of spiritual leadership. And I'm using that term in the broadest of senses. I really mean, I really mean leadership generally in the sense of who we endorse in those, in those roles that offer people unique platforms to speak into the lives of others whether as a Sunday school teacher or a home group leader, as someone coordinating a Bible study or serving on a missions team even, or someone on youth staff, or someone who's even going to take part, even even one of our young people who's going to take part as a small group leader in our summer sports camp. 
let me suggest that this has implications for us as a body, that we ought to, and the leadership feels this entirely, that we ought to have a, have a, a, a necessity on us to, to, to do our due diligence in protecting those roles. That to put people in those positions requires that they have first heard the word. And beyond that, that it requires of us that we see the evidence that they are also doers of the word. Because that's what James says. Coming off of, of the idea that faith works, some see this whole chapter that it's about, it's about our words being the work, part of the work. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think it's more so that 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 the ones who do the work, whose faith works, those are the ones we can trust to do the word. And we as a leadership team, and we as a church, ought to be doing our due diligence to protect those we platform to speak God's word after him. Which is why, and just to explain this to everybody, which is why we are taking such great pains to say, is everybody signed up and signed on for the same thing? This whole membership ordeal is about this. It's just our way, our best effort at protecting the word ministries of the church and expanding that beyond the five individuals who regularly stand behind this pulpit. That we want to be a speaking church. But we feel the weight of protecting that, and so we want to have the conversations. And the only way we have the conversations is if we ask the questions. And so we're asking the questions, not because the piece of paper means anything, but because it matters. It matters at the end of the day who speaks on God's behalf. And we don't know everything. We don't know whose faith is real, but we will do our part in identifying those for whom we see the word at work. This matters. This matters. And we want to be a people who speak. We want to be a people who, 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 who we, we care about what we say and how we say it because we care about the one on whom's behalf we say it. This matters for us as individuals. It matters for us as a body. And lastly, it matters as we look to those who lead us. And I know that in part I'm, I'm saying this as one who bears that responsibility. But I'm saying it because I want you to know I want you to know that I get the weight of it. That we as elders struggle with the weight of it. We struggle making sense of that. How can God use broken individuals to do his work, to get into the muck of other people's lives when we're dealing with the muck of our own? And I want you to know that our God prayer as a leadership team is that the weight on a week-on, week-off basis would not lessen. And that as those that weight 
as those that wait falls on, that as those who speak God's word after him or who have this role that's defined in maybe a more direct way than any other individuals in the body, as those who speak God's word after him and guard the speaking of God's word generally, that we would, our hope is that we would pave the way as those who first hear and always do before we speak. That we want to be held accountable to that. We invite you, right boys? We invite you to press on that. Because whether in a moment or not, we act like the trapped rat in the corner and we lash out at something that, that we're struggling with our own lives, our God hope is that we would bear it. And our God hope is that you would bear it too. Because we don't want to end up as those who underappreciate the tongue in terms of its strength or underestimate the tongue in terms of its destructive power, but want to see, starting with us, because that's where any of us can start with, want to see the word go forth with the power it was meant to go forth with. We want to be those who then appoint those and be held accountable as those who've heard the word and are doers of the word and are again those who speak God's word, not our own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my prayer is that it would be so. My prayer is that as we struggle with the weight of it, as individuals, as those who, who, who are attaining to or already appointed to positions of leadership, as those who, who have the roles to speak into the lives of others or are growing in those roles, as those who, who merely have opportunity without maybe the name, I pray that it would be so. That you would speak through us and that it would be you speaking and not us. I ask that you would do it for the fame of the name of Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen. for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible.org.